0: The Start on demand. on demand.
1: Police in Canada now have the power to give you a breathalyzer, even if you're not behind the wheel. What's worse, the onus is now on you to prove you weren't drinking. Is a time to re-examine whether or not seatbelts should be on school buses. We'll hear from a Manitoba parent who is leading the charge to make that change. A new show on Netflix has inspired Greg to tidy up his life and get rid of all that clutter. And we'll visit with one of the real housewives of Toronto. She came in today to tell us about her new book, How to Be Successful in Spite of Yourself. And she was wearing super sparkly shoes. Check out 680CJOB on Instagram to have a look. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling McGarry and McNabb. And this is the podcast... For the start. So, we've been telling you for three weeks about changes to traffic laws that now give police the power to ask for a breathalyzer, even if a driver is showing no signs of alcohol impairment.
2: Up until now, police officers have needed reasonable grounds. So, that would be something like bloodshot eyes, slurring, or the smell of alcohol in order to conduct a breathalyzer test, but that changed December 18th. And we had a lot of conversation here at CJOB about police powers and our civil liberties and what that does to us. Now we're learning changes to that law may not apply to just drivers. As Global Shawn O'Shea explains, lawyers say police in Canada can now demand breast samples in bars in your own home.
0: We're in a brave new world now. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's a a gross infringement of our charter
3: rights. Police have new powers given by government for the purposes of reining in impaired driving. But those laws could also catch people who've done nothing wrong.
4: It casts the net too wide and it's going to criminalize innocent behavior or potentially.
3: As we reported this week, police no longer need grounds to pull over and stop someone and administer a breath sample to see if you've been drinking. That's what happened to Art from Mississauga last weekend.
2: He said no, he said I saw you at the beer store and to me, you were taking back what what looked like, in my opinion, an excessive amount, amount
3: of bottles. He wasn't drinking and passed the test. But now for two hours after you've been driving, you could also be considered impaired, even if you're not behind the wheel anymore. Maybe you're in a bar.
0: And they come and find you at at the restaurant. They can take you out of the restaurant despite the fact that you've been drinking in the restaurant. Maybe you weren't going to drive away. Maybe your spouse was there to drive you home.
3: You could have left a golf game sober. A competitor makes an anonymous call to police saying you're impaired. They send an officer to your home and demand a test.
4: You have committed no crime. You would not even have blown a warn on the way home. Yet you will be fixed with whatever blood alcohol level you achieve uh, when the police uh,
0: intercept you at your home. It's profound and profoundly stupid. So most people assume
5: that it can't be. Uh, but that is what the law is now, and you will see it happen, I
3: guarantee it. Will police use their new powers to demand breath samples from people at homes or in bars? They now have the right, and the law can put the onus on drivers to prove they weren't drinking, no longer the other way around.
4: The law simply casts a net too wide. It's, a, it's
0: expedient, but the question is whether it's constitutional. The whole concept here uh, of
5: um, you, you being guilty for being at 80 milligrams or above uh, two hours after driving is just shocking.
3: Police typically do use the legal tools available to them at some point, and this is likely to be challenged right up to the Supreme Court of Canada, but that can take several years. In the meantime, the law is entirely different from what it was last year.
1: Global's Sean O'Shea. So yeah, imagine you're this guy, Art, 70-year-old, resident of Mississauga, takes his empties back to the store... And the police say, that, that seemed like a lot, so we're going to give you a breathalyzer.
0: They didn't even need to give them that reason to give them the breathalyzer based on the law and how it was explained not only in other articles and other stories, Loren, but in that story. They don't need to give you a reason at all. Well, Anywhere, take... anytime, any place, They d- they don't need to justify their actions. And this is another example of legislation where most of us can go, yep, we understand. We want fewer." Deaths on our highways and our roads because of drunk drivers, but this is a road a line way too far.
2: Well, it's the reason why, like I said earlier, when when I read this and heard this again, and I said to you, Greg, the lawyers are saying they can they can stop you outside the liquor store on your way home from a golf course, or if they see you at the bar. I said this can't be. So I've I put in request to the RCMP again because, as we understood it, this was about driving, and this is a change to the traffic act, and therefore should be something to do with when you're in their car. I think that they can perhaps argue then, though, you're going to get into your car, or you just got out of your car, in the case of the liquor store incident in Ontario, and therefore it applies. That's how the broad the scope is. But, man, like, I, was, I would be inclined to say, no, you cannot ask me for my breathalyzer. I'm just returning some empties. But then you can get charged if you refuse that test. So we have a lawyer coming up at 8.07. Just, if anyone else has any questions, we'll flesh some of them out, and if there's anyone in law enforcement who has an opinion on it, I'd like to hear it, because I'd like to believe this is not how they're going to apply the law.
0: I know if I'm driving and they ask me for my breath and I refuse, they can take my vehicle away from me and do all sorts of stuff. If I'm walking and they ask me for a breathalyzer, what, are they going to take away my shoes?
2: (laughs) I'm not driving. Well, you you can get a ticket for riding your bike and drinking. I'm walking. I'm just... I don't know, am I going to be, like, I, like, often in, we live in a, a town south of Winnipeg, and so if we have any plans to go to a party, especially in the summer, we will take, take we we'll go bike and, or pull a trailer or, or whatever, and, and I, I don't know, now, am I going to be biking home and doing what I think is safe and being pulled over too?
1: I, For the record, it was three dozen beer bottles that this man took back, and some wine bottles, and it was at 11.30 in the morning.
2: It's also after the holiday. Yeah. Like, I, you is anyone else's garage got a lot of bottles in it post Christmas? Like once again, based on what we're hearing, none of that matters.
0: None of the circumstances surrounding it matters. It just highlights the ludicrous, how ludicrous this is. a.m. lunacy.
2: Like I guess the theory could be he drank those all night and is still drunk in the morning. I'm I don't know. I'm just
1: I and just I yeah, I never take back empties six at a time. I always wait until For there's sure. a, a bit of a stash. And that because I think I have, uh, I've got some beer bottles or beer cans that I've had for like two months. Yeah. that I'm just waiting for them to stack up enough to make it worth making a trip because it'll cost me more in gas to take back Absolutely. a six than it will <laughs> i get
2: return money on it by the way do you how much do you get return money like how much is it's it
1: 10 cents right yeah for, for a, a re, bottle or a hand but he, there, another thing that uh, that caught my attention about this he was taking back wine bottles as yes. well
0: yes they have deposits on those things in a lot of provinces Manitoba' is way behind on that. I know when I lived in BC, I said to you, I thought it was $0.60 cents for a two-liter bottle, and I thought, that seems like a lot. It was a lot. It's $0.20 cents for a two-liter bottle of pop in BC. Anything under one liter, it's $0.10 cents deposit. A bottle of pop. Yes. Yes. We pay that in two-cent Enviro fee yeah. mm-hmm. on each can and each bottle, uh, but in BC, you pay that as a deposit, and you get it back when you return your water bottles, your pop bottles, We should look into that. Why don't we
1: do that here?
2: All right. So we've been talking a lot this morning about what some of you are calling a controversial story. The headline is police in Canada can now demand breath samples in bars and homes. And as hard as it might be for some to believe, our next guest says it's true. As we've been telling you for several weeks, changes to drinking and driving laws have given police the power to ask for a breathalyzer, even if a driver is showing no signs of alcohol impairment. But do those powers go beyond the road? Well, just this week in Mississauga, a man was asked for a breath test after an officer spotted him returning three dozen beer bottles to a liquor store and then getting in his car. For more, we are joined by criminal defense lawyer out of Toronto, Joseph Newberger. Good morning, Joseph.
3: Good
5: morning. How are you?
2: We're great. We've got a lot of questions about this. Uh, Is this right? Like, in theory, a person doesn't have to be behind the wheel in the moment a police officer asks them for a breathalyzer according to this change to the law?
5: Yeah, in theory, that's true. So let's sort of start with the the most uh, important change. So normally across Canada, if an individual was pulled over or stopped at a ride spot check for the purposes of sobriety, If the officer detected um, an odor of alcohol from the person's breath or there was an admission of consumption of alcohol, then the officer would form what's called reasonable suspicion to make a roadside demand, and then the person would have to comply. Now the new legislation says that there needs to be no evidentiary basis for an officer to make a roadside demand. So a person can be stopped by police and whether they are exhibiting any indicia of impairment whatsoever, they could be stone-cold sober, the officer can still make a demand for a roadside, and the individual absolutely 100% must comply, or they will be charged with failing to provide a sample. A very serious
2: offense. But you're using the term roadside. So is it possible they would go when the person's not on the road?
5: Okay, so now the next explanation is, a person can be charged with impaired or over 80 up to two hours after driving. So imagine a scenario where somebody is driving home and for whatever reason, maybe they're on their cell phone or they dropped something on the floor and they went to reach it and it looks like they're impaired and some civilian phones in the vehicle with the license plate and says, I believe this person's an impaired driver. They pull up into their driveway. The individual goes into their house, turns on uh, the Winnipeg jet and cracks open some beers And then about 45 minutes to an hour later, there's a knock at the door of a police officer. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, we've got a report of uh, you driving erratically. We want you to provide a roadside sample. And you're not even in the car. You're in your house. And so, yes, theoretically, if you're in your house or bar and somebody has detected or if an officer has detected you were driving in an aberrant manner, you could be on dry ground, not in your car, and be required to provide a sample. And then if you are over 80 uh, and you are charged with an offense, then you will bear an onus to establish that at the time you're actually driving, you are not impaired. So you are not over the legal limit, which is a reverse onus provision, which to me is unconstitutional and highly draconian.
0: How would you even go about proving that, Joseph?
5: I have no idea. (laughs) I really... (laughs) Or or even attempt to prove it. I don't know. I'm so bewildered by the legislation that you know, how to attack that, I'm not sure. Now, you know, I suspect we can take the readings at the time, hire a toxicologist and do a readback. Mm-hmm. So the reality is scientifically you'd be able to establish. Um, so let's say the reading was taken at 1.42 a.m. and the time of driving was 11.55. Uh, you could then have a toxicologist do a readback, which would establish fairly easily then that your blood alcohol level would be, would have been under the legal limit. But imagine this, you have to now hire your own toxicologist and go through that expense and establish this in court and hope that a court accepts that evidence. And so you're put through that time and expense for having never committed a criminal offense.
0: We got a It's tech- amazing. It is amazing. It's quite frustrating because you have citizens who are on side with the idea of having stricter drinking and driving laws. I'm one of those people. But this provision and some of the provisions within this new law have got me uh, beyond frustrated. And and quite frankly, uh, Joseph, I'm angry about some of these. I can't believe that they're they're being passed in Canada. It it, it seems beyond the line here.
5: Okay, so I'm going to drive you a little nuts this morning because I'm inspired by what you're saying because now I'm starting to hear people who are very pro-police, pro-protection, starting to speak out and say, how did this happen? How did we erode our rights this way? And this is just a start, my friend. You know, uh, there's that argument out there, well, if you've got nothing to hide, what's the problem? But it can lead to abuses, and the issue is, this is just the start of an erosion of rights. There's a number of pieces of legislation that this liberal government has enacted in reaction to criminal cases that they did not like that has now significantly eroded our democratic principles. For example, new legislation that will get royal assent will eliminate preemptory challenges when picking a jury, which has been in place for a long time so that we can protect minorities and bias. They're going to eliminate preliminary hearings for anything but a charge uh, which results in life imprisonment. So for example, sexual assault cases, there will be no preliminary inquiries. Preliminary inquiries are incredibly effective and important in defending people. And I've defended thousands of these cases and individuals are wrongly accused. There is a whole host of changes coming down the pipe where we are watching our civil liberties go bye-bye because the politics are playing out and they want to pander to lobby groups and interest groups and don't really care about your rights and my rights, even though we may not commit crimes.
1: Joseph Newberger is a criminal defense lawyer joining us live this morning on CJOB. Joseph, thank you very much for your time.
5: My pleasure. Have a great morning.
1: McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Fortier, Kelly Moore, and Jeff Braun is here. Jeff, you put on the skates yesterday for the first time in how long?
4: Uh, Since grade five, so about 30 years, I think.
1: 30 years, wow.
4: And how'd it go? Oh, it it went. It (laughs) It was weird. It was weird and wobbly. I didn't fall, so there was that. I was very proud of that. I spent about 20 minutes clutching the boards, just going in a circle around the outdoor rink by my house. And... I, I it was it was it hurt my feet. My feet were so sore by the end of it because really? you're not used to wearing skates. Plus, the skates are brand new; they haven't been broken in yet. But you
2: bought you bought brand new skates for this.
4: Had to. The ones I had in grade five wouldn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were, you a, were you a decent skater in grade five? I was. I was, yeah, I was comparable. I was as good as the other
0: kids, sort of. Yeah. So yeah. So, they're also illegal. They're not allowed to be used because they're they're a dangerous
2: <laughs> weapons. <laughs> So Why when, did you want to do it, Jeff? Like, what made you want to get back out there? My girlfriend's
0: little kids
4: are getting into hockey and starting to skate, and I've been looking for an excuse to get back at it, and I figured that's as a good excuse as any.
2: So love, and the answer is love made you do yeah, it. Yeah,
4: exactly. So <laughs> I'll keep going, and hopefully it'll get back to
6: year. I thought you were becoming a Christian Omel wannabe.
4: No, 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 no. no. That guy, that's just insane what that guy's doing. One ODR is enough. Yeah. Were Look, you scared to do it? I was very scared, yeah, and embarrassed too. I I spent a half hour just sitting in the skate change area, just waiting for everybody else to leave. Said no one's watching this. I'm waiting until it's all. By,
6: I'm all by myself. Did you shell out three hundred bucks for a new composite stick too?
4: No, no, no. I, I use the boards for balance. <laughs> Can't hold a hockey <laughs> stick when you're clutching to the side of the.
1: You could use the stick as a balance,
4: right? Yeah. yeah that, that's uh, that's uh phase two.
0: We got to finish phase one first. Well, congratulations, Jeff. Yeah, I, think that's, that's, I think that's fantastic yeah. that you're doing this. Uh, and I promised that I would come out and skate with you next week. And I that I we might that have, that have to push that, that back that. a couple of weeks. Okay. I'll Skate with Christian next yeah. week.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: So anybody else want to try something new or maybe something old that's so old it's new again?
2: I want to do a skating like Braun. I haven't skated yeah. since I was like 11 or 12.
0: But that
1: was like 2014, so... <laughs>
2: yeah, you, you got some years on me. You got some
4: years on me.
1: Yeah, I'm with you too, Forrest. I, I, like last year, I remember going for walks and seeing people on the River Trail, which was so long last year, and I thought I really should get out there and get on that. But I haven't skated in so long, and I was never particularly gifted skater. I could skate fast, straight. Like I could never, never learned, never learned how to turn properly. What are you? There's a technique for that. What do you call that? Yeah, there's right? crossover, yeah. Yeah. yeah, can't yeah. do that. Couldn't stop. All yeah, that what about great.
2: stopping? Like that just seems so dangerous. I
1: couldn't skate <laughs> I'm backwards. I'm so scared <laughs> to do that. Yeah, that's so what, what the, the boards are for. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been so long, so I'm a little scared uh, that I would break that, my We should do that as a, as,
6: a, as the morning show reunion. I agree. I think we should have a skating party. I think that's a good team building
0: exercise. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. But
6: I'm trying to remember the last time I skated, it was in one of those media versus Blue Bomber games at uh, the Winnipeg Arena. So that'd be probably... So at least 15 years ago. Oh, at least. Yeah. Right. Yeah, probably closer to 20. I remember... That's off, the last time you were on skates? Off the face off, Wade Miller and I were jousting, and I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Miller is going to kill you. <laughs> And he was ready to. Yeah, no question. No it's question. one of those
2: things, though, like if you, the longer you go without doing it, the harder it's going to be to get back yeah. to it. I try every summer to do at least one used to water ski often when we were younger and i try to get out at least once to do it so that i don't lose the skill but i only do it once and i'm like okay here i go and i get out and we do a lap and i give i drop a ski and then i stand i hang on for dear life you're able to go on one ski yeah but not very well and then i give the signal to my husband (laughs) like i don't want to fall let's get this boat back to the shore and i do it but i i haven't done it in a couple summers now and i will more than not wanting to lose the skill, I'd actually like to get better at it because what's driving me right now is just the fear, yeah, like to to not to want to be able to do it and show your kids something. But, I'm not good at it. Like it's just, it gets scarier every single time.
1: I'd love to learn how to water ski. I've always wanted to try that. Yeah, that you looks could. fun.
6: once you're up. It, it's okay. Yeah. it's the getting up that's the difficult part. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's that's an interesting a coordination of monster.
0: muscle and tension and pulling yourself. Body up. positioning. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it is a, a lot of fun. And you once can you just get be, up, it's uh, awesome. Pull
4: behind the boat in a tube with a beer in your hand, <laughs> <it's just about laughs> your style.
1: That sounds way better. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah.
6: Jeff Ron knows me very well. When you, when you. We emailed this out though this morning, hey, man, I, the one thing I was thinking of was snow skiing. Yep. I used to ski a lot uh, when I still lived in BC and I remember when our daughters used to have uh, field trip days uh, to one of the ski hills. It was always a lot of fun. So that that is something I would probably like to to try. Sun yeah. Peaks and Cal- Kamloops? Well, it was, it, we went to a smaller ski resort though. It was Harper mountain. Harper mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Kids only there or what? Oh, no, no. It, it was more of a family type of ski resort, but, uh, yeah, there was, although there was one time we had this little girl, she said, Oh yeah, I'm a good skier. I'm a good skier. So we went to the, uh, uh, the, the adult run. She wasn't as good a skier as what she <laughs> thought she was. We had to kind of bunny hillard all the way down. We start
1: this half hour with the subject of seatbelts on school buses. The Humboldt tragedy has focused in on seatbelts for long-distance bus travel, but there are organizations across the country, including right here in Manitoba, that want to get seatbelts on school buses. Petra McGowan is a parent advocating for seatbelts on school buses, and she tells the news with Richard Kluche and Julie Buckingham. She's always been puzzled by the lack of seatbelts.
7: My kid is six years old now. She's a first grader, and since the first moment she stepped on a board of a school bus, uh, I was really confused. I come from a country where seatbelts are mandatory, um, and uh, we, as parents, uh, drill our children into the seat uh, seatbelt safety right from the start. And uh, we do understand uh, the importance of it. So not having them on a school bus um, uh, really, really uh, puzzled me. And uh, from then I did uh, look up the conclusions of the Transport Canada 1984 uh, study that is is used to advocate for no seatbelts on school buses. And immediately I was even more confused because it was very clear that um, rollovers and side impact was completely omitted from this study, and these are uh, traditionally the type of accidents that are most lethal.
1: Now, Petra has looked into this thoroughly and says all signs point to kids being safer on a bus if they are wearing a seatbelt.
7: I've seen uh, lots of uh, simulation studies that are done by the leading uh, safety experts uh, in the United States, and uh, when you watch them and you watch a rollover or a side impact, the kids are literally tossed like a salad. They're flying all over the place. And then when you watch a belted simulation, you can totally see that it would have prevented so much injuries, uh, broken boats, and potential death.
1: More from Petra in a moment, but I remember being on a school bus, sitting at the back of the bus, and all it takes is to hit a bump in the road, and you'd bounce out of your seat. I'm pretty sure there were at least there were a couple of instances where I hit the ceiling. Because I was always a tall kid, but it, it, we'd hit a bump that was so hard that I'd bounce out and bang.
2: It's really interesting because we talk, like, now that my kids are in school, it's something I've thought about, about why why aren't they, I thought that was maybe like a 1980s thing, you know, and you didn't have seatbelts, you didn't wear seatbelts in the backseat of the car, so why would you have them in school buses? But I'm even looking at the Canada Safety Council out of Ottawa, and they still say that seatbelts aren't, aren't, aren't going to make you any safer, and that they have studies that prove... The opposite. It's it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, except there's a there's a flaw in that testing, and Petra pointed it mm-hmm. out. The fact that for a long time none of that testing involved T-bone or side collisions. That's right. They were always either a rear-end collision or where the the front of the bust hit some other object. There, and uh, CBC Marketplace did an outstanding investigation of their own on this, and Petra painted a perfect radio picture, as Richard Kluger would call it, in terms of what. happened happened when those vehicles are hit from the side when they're t-boned and so there's a gigantic flaw in this testing and the and the premise for not having seatbelts on school buses. In my opinion, based on the research I've done, is completely flawed. I'm with this woman 100%. So
2: what do other countries do,
0: Brett?
1: Well, she's from the Czech Republic. where, As she pointed out, seatbelts are mandatory on school buses. She says most European countries require seatbelts and there are fewer injuries as a result. And if you go to the Facebook group that she's created, Manitoba Parents for Mandatory Seatbelts, you can read stories there about places where they have implemented seatbelt policies.
7: Policy. And in spite of uh, some original concerns, everybody was impressed and their expectations were exceeded in relation to uh, less injury, no hospitalization, even though the buses got into a few accidents, uh, better compliance, better behavior on school buses and just uh, so much easier way to manage students. Behavior.
1: Now, the Facebook group was just started a few days ago, and we've linked it to the 680CJOB Instagram story if you want to see more. But she says she's already hearing from a lot of people.
7: Parents are coming to us and saying the obvious thing, uh, just like you mentioned. We all require seatbelts everywhere else. How come they're not on school buses? So a lot of, lot of parents are get, getting behind our cause, and we hope to attract even more and spread even more awareness.
1: Once again, that's Petra McGowan, a parent advocating for seatbelts on school buses. She's asked to meet with Transportation Minister Ron Schuler on a few occasions. It's her understanding they are preparing an official response on this subject.
2: Maybe it's time. I mean, I'm curious to know, you mentioned that, that the studies that have been done don't show the side collisions, they only show the one kind. Like, what what year were those done? How far back do they go? And and what data are we relying on to to repeat this like as i said the canada safety council goes by the line that buses are 16 times safer than a family car that might just be because of the size and the fact that they don't get involved in as many accidents and therefore you can come up with that number but what what year were these studies done like does it make sense to have another look at this well and
1: what's the aversion like why not do it is they like is it are they saying that putting seatbelts on buses would make kids less
2: safe yes So, again, according to the Safety Council, research in their opinion has shown that lap belts could increase the risk of head injuries if you go forward. And then if you have to have the combination lap and shoulder belt, you need to have new kinds of seats. You need to have a new design. And then the driver would be responsible for ensuring that every single kid is strapped in properly. So that would change the timing and liability issues. So it's just a pain. Maybe. I don't know.
0: Well, there's probably a cost factor in here as well that uh, some folks and some organizations might be adverse to. It's just interesting how we get addicted to information that we believe to be true for so long. Mm-hmm. And because it's always been that way, it must be that way for a reason. And we trust, we put so much trust in these in these things that uh, are legacy, legacy practices. And so how much longer... Let's play this out. I don't want to derail the conversation with regard to school buses, but how much longer... Let's say we find definitive information and research that says we absolutely should have seatbelts for kids on school buses. How long then before we need seatbelts on city buses, on transit buses?
2: Yeah, I, I'm thinking of the the little ones. That the hard, the challenge you have you you always want to keep your eye on your kids when they're in the back seat when they're younger, right? Because they can slip in those in their car seats, they can move. You're always worried about different choking things or dropping. And so now, just it's putting a heavy responsibility on the bus driver. For the youngest of the kids on the bus, which you can't see behind those huge seats to make sure they're safe unless we change the whole design of a school bus. Well,
0: look at booster seats. Did you ever sit in a booster seat when you were a kid? Now you got to be in a booster seat or supposed to be until 60, 80 pounds. I don't even remember what the threshold is. Lots of things have changed.
1: Craig, as Winnipeg does its best to embrace winter with events like Festival du Voyageur and the ever-expanding events on our frozen rivers like the world's longest skating rink, etc., the internationally renowned Warming Huts competition, the annual Raw Almond Pop-Up Restaurant Extravaganza. To name just a few, here at the start, we are wondering aloud if we should have an ice hotel in Winnipeg.
0: Yeah, well, there's only one city in North America currently with such an incredible attraction. That's where we go next to visit with Marie-Yves Dayon. She's Media Relations Coordinator for Valcartier Parks Hotels and Spas. She's in Quebec City. Good morning, marie Eve. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. We're good. Thank you very much. How are you? Ah, We're doing fine.
8: We've had a lot of snowfall in the last few days, so Hotel we'll de Glass is amazingly beautiful today.
2: Okay, so when you say hotel, an ice hotel, we're talking you can actually... Like the room is built inside ice?
8: Of course. (laughs) The, The room is totally made of ice and snow. There's no other structure. We create it around a mold that we remove after the snow has compacted and hardened. So it's only snow and ice.
0: How many rooms have you got in this hotel? At
8: the moment, we have 42 rooms this year. 16 of those are theme suites, so they're going to be decorated and sculpted to our theme this year being the hotel garden.
0: So it's essentially a gigantic igloo, for lack of a better term.
8: It is absolutely that. A huge igloo that's uh, very high-end, decorated, lidded, and uh, it's an ephemeris work of art, so it's going to be Completely destroyed by the end of March. If you want to see Hotel de Glace, the 19th edition, the uh, garden hotel, uh, the hotel garden edition, you need to see it between now and the end of March, because next year it's going to be a new theme, a new layout. It's going to be completely different. So
2: you rebuild a ho- an ice hotel every single year?
8: Yes, we started building uh, around the beginning of November, depending on the weather, and the, the temperature is outside. By the beginning of January, we start hosting stayovers for the night, and people can sleep over at Hotel de Glass until the mid-March, and by the end of March, we collapse it with machinery to ensure that it's going to be melted for our summer water park.
1: So if I want to stay in the Hotel de Glass, what can I expect when I walk into one of the rooms?
8: Uh, what you can expect is a... Bed and a bedside table or other furniture completely made of ice in a room built of snow and compacted snow. It's going to be, uh, most of the time, it's going to be a decorated room and you might even have a fireplace in it. And you're going to have a very comfortable high-end mattress put over that ice bed. And you're going to sleep inside a very comfortable uh, sub-zero sleeping bag that we're going to put into your room just before you go to bed. And you can expect to have one of the best nights of sleep in your life because it's so completely quiet in the snow hotel.
0: Now, uh, I, you know, sometimes I have to get up in the middle of the night to, to take care of certain things. Is there accommodation? Do I have facilities attached to my, my room?
8: Well, the great news is that for the last three years, Hotel de Glass has been at Village Bart Cartier Resort. We also have a 150-room, four-star hotel that's just a few steps away. So we're back with the 241 uh, accommodation fee this year. So you get your room inside Hotel Valcartier where you get to change, shower, and do all the things you want to do in private. And you also have Hotel de Glace a few steps away where you go into your pyjamas. You sleep over, and if you ever need to use the bathroom or anything else, you can do it in our heated outdoors uh, porta-potties, or you can walk back inside Hotel Valcatier and decide to go back into the spas and sonas to get really warm before you go back to bed into Hotel de Glass.
0: You've what? thought of everything.
8: Oh, you, we have. It's the 90th year where we have our staff working with us. So they know how to build an amazing hotel and we know how to host people. You can also enjoy Bora Park. That's also located on our grounds. And Bora Park is a Bora Bora themed indoors water park. So it's 30 degrees all year long. You can go from sleeping into minus five degrees to enjoying a day into 30 degrees weather inside at Bora Park.
2: So the temperature in the rooms is about minus 5 degrees, so obviously a coat might be required while you're in there. What's it cost to stay at the Ice Hotel?
8: Uh, a coat is required if you visit Hotel de Glace, but if you sleep over at Hotel de Glace, the less is the best. So if you usually sleep in the buck, that's how you're going to sleep in <laughs> Hotel de Glace. If you get too warm, you're going to sweat. Sweat with cold makes very cold feet. You do not want to have that happening to you. So you need to be dry and lightly uh, uh, at the moment, we have stayovers starting from 349, including the two rooms, so the one in Hotel Valcartier and the one in Hotel de Glace. And you can go up as far as you want because we even have a private suite with your own sauna and your own uh, jacuzzi tub under the stars and your own fireplace. So you can go all out and bring the loved one or the person that's most important to you to enjoy this experience at Hotel de Glace.
1: marie Eve, we got to go here, but what's the temperature in the hotel room?
8: Minus 5 at all times, be it minus 30 outside or uh, over 10 degrees, it's always going to be minus 5. It's a big
1: Refrigerator. Marie-Yves Doyome, media relations coordinator for Val Parks Hotel Spas, talking about Hotel de Glace in Quebec. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. This sounds amazing.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, guys. I have just added this as a destination. My God. Uh, yeah.
1: Right now, we want to talk about a show that debuted on Netflix on New Year's Day that is catching fire around the globe. It's called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Here's a listen.
9: I have so much stuff.
5: It's a never ending battle to fight the clutter. With the baby coming, we got to get our stuff in order. We had a downsize from a four story house to a two
7: bedroom apartment.
2: I lost my husband. I don't know that I have everything it takes to
9: get rid of his belongings. No! Hello. 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 I'm Maria Kondo. the let Let's start tiny. This girl's no joke. This is amazing.
6: Oh.
1: Uh, we have too much stuff. It's official.
2: <laughs> it's so hard to let it go. I don't want to just, you know, dump it. I want to be thoughtful about it choose items that spark joy for you.
5: Spark joy. It's not as easy as I thought it was gonna be.
2: We're on board, we want to change. I just want it to be strong enough to change me.
5: I can let it go. Arigato.
2: I am
9: going to figure out what sparks joy in my life.
2: I can't wow. believe you can touch the carpet. <laughs> new day, new joy. Thank you for being here for us and wanting to help us. I hope you know how
9: much this means to me. Here we go.
1: So I'm looking at an article right now on Vulture, and it says, A lot of people in the Western world have way too much stuff. In 2014, many of them started looking to Marie Kondo to help them get rid of it. That's the year when the life-changing magic of tidying up Kondo's Guide to Cleansing One's Home became an international bestseller and turned her into the most famous professional organizer on the planet. Thanks to her Mari method, a decluttering process that involves sorting through one's belongings based on categories and choosing to keep only the things that in Kondoese spark joy, tidying up became a phenomenon, and now it is a television show on Netflix.
0: Greg, have you watched any of this? I've watched uh, the trailer, and that was about enough to put me into a cold sweat. This woman would love my house mm. or hate it.
2: I think to she'd eventually love, most, love it. I think they make a good point. Like, There's so much... Um, You think about how all these disposable items that we have or we go to the dollar store or something else because you buy one thing and you lose it and you break it and you get it and you just have all these things that you think you need and then you end up with I don't have I cannot think of a drawer in my entire home that and I've organized I got little trays and carts and things to make it clean and that isn't still confusing and overflowing.
0: Yeah. And see, it's not trinkets like that. For me, it's the concert t-shirts. It's the, <laughs> it's the program from Nostalgia. the sporting event. It's uh, typically I can justify in my own mind, the reason for holding on to just about every last thing that I've held on to. And so I, I want to watch a little bit more about this because what caught my attention was the gentleman, you might've heard him saying Arigato. Yeah, he's not saying goodbye to Marie Kondo. She, he was saying goodbye to a piece of memorabilia he'd been hanging on to. He was saying goodbye to his stuff, and so I don't know. Uh, there, there's a lot more cleansing going on than just cleaning out the junk drawer or your, you know, closet that's overflowing with stuff. There, there is uh, something spiritual going on here. I think for people,
2: well, she has the line in it. Does this spark joy? And yes. you're, you're supposed to ask to your spice rack, does this cinnamon <laughs> jar spark joy? No, I don't even, can't think of the last time I used cinnamon. Sorry. See you later, cinnamon. Whenever like. <laughs>
0: you have something that tastes good, inevitably the secret ingredient, ingredient that makes it taste good is cinnamon. cinnamon. So right, that's a fine. bad example. But Brett, you're going through this yourself, right?
1: Yeah, I'm getting ready to move in with my girlfriend. So as a result, I have to go through the the tedious process of going through my the stuff that I've accumulated over the years now I I don't know that I have any more things than than any other person but like I have two closets in my bedroom which is kind of nice one of them is where I keep my clothes, and the other one is where I keep my crap. I have a storage locker downstairs, but it's just full of empty boxes and tubs, <laughs> essentially, uh, which I go call upon in the event that I need to pull out some of my stuff. So, but yeah,
2: hang on, you have two closets, like, and what's in the second one? Like, when you say crap, what do you mean?
1: I just like old junk. I've got, I have like homework from like grade school in oh, a box. Boy. I have, but I also have a, I have two tubs full of CDs which I haven't listened to in years. I don't even have a, C- a functioning CD player in my home. But <laughs> when I still you, when have you went hard
0: on that app, I was a little worried there for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I don't have, I, I, now you think I have a whole tub too now that has sure. CDs and VHS tapes. VHS tapes,
0: record albums. I have a turntable, but I don't have it hooked up. My kids are begging me to hook it up because they, they want to see how it actually works. Yeah,
2: don't get rid of that. That's cool.
0: You know, yeah, but mm, if I would have gotten rid of it 20 years ago when I switched over to CDs, see, I'd be lamenting the fact that I'd gotten rid of it. And my grandfather, see, my grandfather always asked me, are you catching this disease from me? of holding on to everything. My grandma was born in 1920, lived through the depression and everything had value, right? Uh, One of the ways he would make money is when they were installing the, installing the telephone lines in St. James, he would go around and collect the copper. And, you know, and so he held on to everything. He saw value in everything. And so he's on my shoulder all the time, whenever, you know, if I've got a piece of two by four, that's more than 18 inches long, I can't throw it away. Yeah. You know, so I don't know where we get this, get this illness, because really, I think it is for a lot of us. Well, we
2: talk about if it's hoarding, like that's actually a mental health issue, right? So there's a a degree of that. And then I think there's all a ton of us in that middle area. That A, is just part laziness and part of you thinking, well, I could throw this out. Like, I'm like that with clothes. Like, I don't want to wear it today, but, I, but it. I spent money on it or I really liked it six months ago, so I'll keep it and it'll come around again.
1: Yeah, I actually I had a whole bunch of clothes in my closet that I've been hanging on to for years in the hopes that one day I would be able to wear it again because I got too fat for it. <laughs> I have lost a few pounds this year, so I have been able to go back into that. So I'm glad I hung on to that, although I did... Uh, when we did fill the freightliner for Silo Mission uh, with Freightliner Manitoba, I went through my clothes and cleared out a lot of stuff, so th- which I was hanging on to largely for sentimental mm-hmm. reasons.
0: Well, and so that's part of the problem, right? If you're holding on to it because you've grown out of it, part of it is if you get rid of it, you feel like you've given up, yeah, and that I'm never going to get back to you know two oh five or whatever yeah, that magic got number m- is. Uh,
9: five
2: pairs of jeans easily that fit that pre baby. Right. And I'll so, get there so you again. go, oh,
0: yeah. And then so you feel like, oh, I'm just throwing in the towel. Uh, but I got to tell you, over the Christmas holidays, I, I reorganized my walk in closet. It felt so good. Mm-hmm. It felt so good. I think I took 45 hangers back to the dry cleaners that had just been hanging in the closet, a lot of them with the cellophane wrap, <laughs> you know, just hanging there because I just take a shirt out. And then um, I'm pretty sure it comes from this, uh, is it Marie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, condo's uh, philosophy with folding the T-shirts. Right. So Jackie's recently come across this, and I guess this is maybe where she got it. You know um, what? So hang on a second, Greg. Can I just stop you there? I know. Why we got to take a break. Why don't you tell us, after we
1: check your forecast, Yo. your T-shirt trick, because... And it it was just baffling. McNabb,
2: well, how how does this work? I don't get it. And then, of course, Greg had a T-shirt in his office drawer, because why wouldn't he? Oh, it's actually just on my desk. Okay, and then he explained it to me, and I still am not so sure, but okay.
1: Mackley McGarry McNabb, we're talking about a new show on Netflix called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. It launched on New Year's Day. A lot of people are talking about it, and... It's about decluttering your life, getting rid of your crap, hanging on to only the things that spark joy in your life. Like, for example, if I'm going through a box and I find an old receipt, well, why are you hanging on to that receipt? Well, that's because I remember that date or I remember that event or whatever. And it puts a smile on my face because it brings me back to that moment. So that's joy. Yeah. So so I'm going to keep that garbage. But I have a lot of other crap in my home that I probably don't need. Like I have old VHS tapes of wrestling stuff, the three faces of Foley. I found that the other day and I thought, well, I still own a VCR, but I'm never going to watch this, so it's got to go. Greg, you
0: have a T-shirt in front of you. I do have a T-shirt in front of me, and uh, I was trying to explain to Loren this new way, quote-unquote, of putting your T-shirts in a drawer. I think most of us will fold our T-shirts and stack them one on top of the other, like you'd get be used to seeing them displayed in a retail situation. Yeah. Well, this new system just requires you to maybe either fold them in half one more time, and then you stack them in your drawer vertically, almost like a file folder situation in a filing cabinet.
2: Initially, I thought you were rolling them because I've no seen that rolling. technique, but it's not a rolling. No. It's, it's just... Vertical stacking. Correct.
0: Uh, yeah, it's vertical. Stacking kind yeah, of. Exactly. So you so you can kind of see. You can see what color it is. Uh, if you fold it right, you can even see the size and, and the and logo to the if logo, you want at least to, yeah. part of it, right? So mm-hmm. you don't have to flip through them. You just open up your drawer, you look, you can see and it, and I won't say it's changed my life, but it sure changes things in the morning for me big time. Now, well, Loren, you were super confused as to how this actually worked.
2: Well, because I was thinking it would only stay stacked. If if you can picture this properly, it's like filing cards. And it would only stay tight, compacted in your drawer if you had enough shirts. But then Greg said, do you have drawers that are overflowing? And I said, all of them. And he said, well, it's going to work in your <laughs> drawers then because you have enough clothes to make that that row fit. And so Correct. that was that was where I was having a hard time. Wrapping my head about it. But listen, if you want to have some fun, head to Twitter. Type in Marie Kondo's name. Everybody is—so many people are talking about how they've cleaned out their— house this weekend. Uh, There's an article about New York City. All of New York City must have watched this show because all these dumpsters and bins were (laughs) overflowing on Monday and like all these thrift stores were getting more things dropped off and then somebody tweeted, Marie Kondo told us to throw away everything that didn't bring us joy. Now, our only possession is a Lion King VHS from 1995. (laughs) And that would be me. (laughs)
1: On the Slice website, she is described as an intoxicating mix of beauty and brains and is definitely one of a kind. Our next guest is from one of the series of Real Housewives programs on Slice.
9: The Real Housewives of Toronto. Hey! Welcome to Spain! Cara is not coming. Roxy just nearly popped her champagne. Cara, she said, I never
2: want to be seen going to Barcelona with these women.
9: Tell me about Barcelona. It was incredible. Everybody really bonded. It was just like a warm, cozy trip. There was kind of a vibe of it was great. Yes, you weren't there. Why be a gold digger when you can own the mine?
0: The miner is Anne Kaplan, and her book is How to Be Successful in Spite of Yourself. We welcome Anne to Winnipeg and to
9: see JOB. Anne, how was Barcelona? How was Barcelona? Oh my goodness, it was fun. It was just like in, out, and that was it. It was great. Well, we appreciate
0: you spending some time with us today to talk about this book. And um, did you have a printing error? And have you changed all the titles on all the books here? Because it said, (laughs) How to Be Successful in Spite of Him. And then it's crossed out in pink lipstick or similar, In Spite (laughs) of Yourself.
9: Uh, Did you change the name of the book halfway through? Or what happened there? I started out writing the book on How to Be Successful in Spite of Him. And it's because so many women that I meet, when I give talks, I talk about How to Be Successful. They talk about their husband or the divorce they've gone through, that they're single parents or that they had a really rough upbringing. And how do they get out of that? And, it, and I listen to them and I think about my life and what I've gone through. And I think it isn't because of him or because of someone else. It's because of yourself. And so I crossed out him and said, how to be successful in spite of yourself? Because we are the ones that get in our way from, of our success. We are the ones that can empower ourselves. be successful. Who was or is the
2: hymn in your life that had you thinking about that relationship and how to remove it completely and focus on you?
9: Well, I've had a few hymns in my life. I've been married a few times. And and the one thing I would say, if you marry a few times, go up a carrot every husband. (laughs) So if you're going to marry, upgrade Uh, each one. And I've learned that. So there's always something positive down the road when you think, I'm not getting divorced. I'm getting a new diamond. And so it's because there always is better things in the future. But the hymn too is when I was born and I talk about this in the book and I've talked to many people that have had crappy lives, but I had a really rough, rough childhood. And can I blame it on my father? And no, it's not. It's that's his issue. It's not my issue. The only thing I'm in control of, of even having a rough childhood is how I respond to it.
0: But, it's me. But, but even in the last segment, we were talking about this whole idea of how we carry all this crap, this physical, really what's garbage for a lot of people, but they are treasures in the eye of the beholder. We do the same thing with our emotional baggage, right, And We, we care, do do we that. Care, and, and we're not only carrying our own garbage or crap, we're
9: carrying other people's on their behalf. That's absolutely true. And, I, and in the book on how to be successful in spite of yourself, I talk about... Uh, relationships and how to get rid of all the people in your life, including if you're married, because the worst thing about being married to a jerk is uh, that you don't leave them. Mm-hmm. And so how bad is it to stay in a marriage you're not happy in? And like wh- why are you doing it when I listen to people? And so, yes, you get rid of the crap, including people that are not positive and don't support you. And you learn how to move forward in your life on a positive note. And then you be your own uh, empowered person.
2: Is that a lesson that comes with age, or time, or wisdom? Because I just recently, I, I turned forty. Well, I'm forty-one now, and I just felt in the last year. Uh, I have friends that I'm friends with because I want to and I've chosen them. And anyone else that doesn't fit into that scheme of of helping you or making you feel better about yourself or working together as a family doesn't need to belong. You kind of decide, I'm not going to stress about that anymore. But I've just just recently got to that stage. And I don't know if that's an age thing or just maybe
9: some wisdom that comes with time. But how, how did you get yourself there? I think it comes in, wisdom comes with time, because when I was a lot younger, and I shouldn't use the word younger, it was a long time ago, I would just like people, I'm just a nice person, and I would forgive people, and then after a while you go, I don't really need to be around this person, and now I'm not around anybody that makes me upset that I'm thinking, oh, I'm going for lunch with this person, and I don't really want to go, I just don't go, I say no, I'm not going, I say no a lot. And so the people I'm around are great, great people. I love the people in my life. You now sometimes you're you get in a cab and somebody's not nice, or you you're a, you're getting a coffee at a coffee shop, and I kind of make it a challenge to make them smile. And then I think I'm not going back there again hmm. if they don't.
1: Our guest is Anne Kaplan. She is one of the Real Housewives of Toronto. She wrote a book, How to Be Successful in Spite of Yourself, and on the subject of the TV show, which aired on Slice in 2017. When you put yourself out there like that and sort of open the world up to your life in the context of that show, was that a little daunting for you, or were you did it excite you to go into that?
9: Well, I talk about that, about that in the book, and it's... I. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do reality TV, but when they asked me to do it, I thought, I kind of like myself, so I'm okay if I saw it on myself on TV. But if you don't like yourself, why would you put yourself in a reality show? Because it would be terrible to look in a mirror that actually you can hear yourself and see what you're like. And that must be pretty bad when somebody doesn't like themselves. So I was okay with it. And I loved, loved filming the show. Do you find, and, and this is my own, perhaps, stereotype I've thrown on this, Anne,
2: is that, you know, when I hear real housewife of any city, whatever the program is, you kind of have this assumption of, a, you used the phrase earlier, gold digger or marrying up, or, or but you're a self-made woman. Uh, did, did you find yourself having to defend yourself during the show or after the show, but you're, you spent your days as a CEO, you're a mother of eight, you've run businesses, you're highly successful, but when you, when you put housewife on it, it adds this label of, well, that's what you are.
9: It's it's interesting that you ask that because um, I, I have built my business and built my companies and still run them and um, on the show, it wasn't so apparent. It was more that I just dressed up all the time and I would say to them, I'd say, look, I run a company and I own real estate and it wasn't really what was interesting. They just wanted to see more of the drama part that was in my life. And I didn't really need to defend it because I'm okay if I'm the only one that knows what's going on. It, that was fine. I was fine with that. So it's um, it, and it's, I'm probably an unhousewife housewife mm-hmm. because I am self-sufficient, and I'm with my husband because I want to be, not because I need to be in my mind. I don't need to be dependent on him. So,
0: you know, and listening to your philosophies, and uh, I have the same one with regards to spending time with people I always think of in terms of who's on my bus with me and who's on the journey and going to where I want to go. And and there's a lot of people that change or change seats on the bus, you know, closer to the front with me, etc. It's not about me, it's about you. How's this whole idea, though, of what I would see as manufactured drama almost in those reality shows. Like it would feel to me as though that that would be a monstrous waste of time for you to be around people who are so potentially negative or situations that can become negative quite quickly.
9: Well, it's it's interesting in the show because there were times when I really was looking at some of the things that were going on thinking, What's wrong with you? Like, did you actually really do that or say that? And, but on television, you, you just can't throw your mic off and do, you know, walk away. You have to actually respond to it. And I honestly responded the way that I felt. And it's, it's an interesting way to learn about yourself too when you're doing reality television.
2: You can watch back and think, oh, I can't believe I did that or I'm happy I
9: did that, depending on the scenario. There were, Yeah, and, and a lot on the show, I just was fine with it. It's fine. I did it. I probably was the only one that didn't say, hey, can I retake that? And um, there was one time that they, they got me to say the word penis and I— I said I didn't mean to and then I said can you take the penis out of there and they're like oh no <laughs> no I don't mean take the penis out of there don't, please don't use this <laughs> and I said oh no I don't want that penis in there don't put the penis in there and then they actually stopped filming and they couldn't stop laughing because I actually said the word I just said the word penis again on air so
2: they don't. at least five times <laughs> I'm sorry it's live now maybe, maybe even seven I'm not we, so we sure can't it, we can't take it out
1: Anne Kaplan is the author of How to Be Successful in Spite of Yourself. The book is available now. She is a very successful businesswoman, and you might know her better from the TV show The Real Housewives of Toronto. Are we going to get
9: a
0: second season on Slice? I hope so. Okay, good. And and Anne,
9: are we allowed to tell people where you were born? You can tell people, well, I can't believe we didn't, that's right. Yes, Yes, you can tell I was born in Winnipeg. There we go. Do you, can we call Welcome you a Winnipegger then, even though it was just a was it really know, just, How do you define a Winnipegger? Did well, they walk around with sparkly clothes on <laughs> in the freezing? Yeah, if it yeah, says this, Winnipeg, this, Manitoba, Manitoba on
0: your birth certificate, you're we're claiming you as our own. It man. does say it on my birth certificate. There we go. That's all we needed to know. And Kaplan,
1: thank you so much for the visit. We very much appreciate it and love. I'm gonna I am going i got to get a, can I get a picture of your shoes and put that up on our Instagram because those Absolutely. shoes are wild. We'll put that up in just a few minutes.